0: Hey, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. I love it for the simple fact that it brings the sponsors to you. You don't have to search for them. And they distribute it to all the major platforms for you. So if you want to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to Anchor.fm/start. Again, anchor.fm slash s-t-a-r-t to join me and diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. And that's it. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Today on Supreme Decisions Legal Minute podcast... We're going to talk about the burden of proof. Who has it, where it lies, and what's the difference? Today's episode is being done on Apple's Anchor Podcast Creator. So, this is the first time I'm doing this one on this platform because we're trying to make sure we get it correct. And as usual... The sponsor for this podcast is none other than Cash App. Now, let's get on with it. I want to talk about the burden of proof. Most people have no idea exactly what it is because most people don't know what exactly hearsay is. And we get so caught up in the norms of someone just saying something and people believing it. When in fact, just because somebody says something, one, it doesn't make it true. And then two, as Denzel often said, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove and the greatest thing about the burden of proof is the simple fact that only the accuser has that burden but too often when we are faced with any type of legal situation we never enforce the person accusing to have to bring forth actual evidence that something was done because of things as <clears throat> or things such as convenience, fear, the actual unknown, or even not knowing. And what I mean by not knowing is the fact that they'll tell you anything which we know in our hearts That they are designed to manipulate and lie to you. So they can induce this fear. So they can provide a means for your convenience. Now, is this correct? Is this right? Well, they're allowed to do whatever it is they need to do. But it's up to you to actually stand up and defend who you really are. Because we know, while not everyone in a jail is innocent, but they may not be guilty of the crime that they're in jail for we look at inmates being released we look at those that are on death row right now around 70% of all death row inmates that have been released have been released because they are actually innocent of the crime that they were in there for and the biggest thing that comes from that is the fact that once they convict you of anything being exonerated of it comes with a price not only for you but for them because you look at for example the Central Park Five all these young men were teenagers 14, 15, 16 years old when they went to prison for 10 to 13 years when they got out because the DNA did not match and it actually matched another person that had also confessed to the murder. New York paid out an enormous amount of money because of that conviction. The reason they have to pay that is because when you go beyond things such as harmless error which I spoke about before how the state apologizes, how corporations apologize, which I'm going to get further into later they apologize with their pocketbook but they cannot afford to apologize very often so a lot of times what you see even when they find out they are wrong They look for things such as a plea bargain. They've even been known to offer things such as an Alfred plea. And as you remember, North Carolina v. Alfred or Alfred v North Carolina allows you to maintain your innocence, but it still goes down as a conviction. as long as they still have your conviction on the books and they offer you something like time served that is an admission of guilt and I've even been asked by people once you plead guilty how do you get that taken off your record how do you get that expunged the thing is once you plead guilty it becomes one of those things where they know how to beat you now. Because I say it all too often. It's not about actually finding the truth. It's not about guilt or innocence. It is about revenue generation. And if you don't believe me, how many people... Actually, fight back when you look at the numbers of traffic citations. They are only five percent of people that get a traffic citation actually fight them in court. When you look at all criminal cases, the millions and millions of cases across the country every year, only 5% fight these criminal cases only 5% of them go to trial only 5% force people to actually show me the proof that you have that I did something now with traffic citations it's really easy because of that 5% that do fight and say hey you got to prove that I did something wrong 95% of those people win I'm going to say that one more time of the 5% that actually fight traffic citations 95% of them win their case so now we go into the criminal aspects of it when you tell them prove that I did something Almost 70% and growing. That number increases every year. 70% and growing when their case. Why? Because the state is not investigating crimes, the police are not investigating crimes. Just to give you an example, a broken taillight is not a crime, it's a safety issue. Jaywalking is not a crime, it's a safety issue. Speeding is not a crime, it's a safety issue. And I'm going to do a video this week, and it's going to deal with a young man that spoke about a traffic stop did not have to be the crime and a police officer can under oath give a statement that has to be followed because he's a police officer or she's a police officer and I'm going to give you court cases that say otherwise because just to give you a teaser Delaware v. Prowse States, a person cannot be stopped just to inspect their license. Terryville, Ohio speaks about a traffic stop actually being a seizure, which has to be done After, after a crime has been committed, which is damage to person, damage to property, or my favorite thing, corpus delicti, which means body of the crime. Because there has to be an injured party. There is no injured party in a traffic citation. Whether I'm in... Just going to the grocery store... Or even if I'm in a taxi... Which Delaware v. Prowse deals with. But even in that... Why are you not enforcing your rights? Because if you do not force them to do their job properly. They're not going to police themselves. Which is one of the reasons why I am a staunch advocate in not complaining to police about police. Because if I'm going to have an issue with the blue wall and I have a per issue with the person that's in the blue wall I'm not going to complain about that blue wall person to a person that's in the blue wall and then complain that the blue wall does nothing about it. What I'm going to do is actually practice what I preach. I am going to follow up the proper way. I'm going to give notices where they need to be at. Because if we have an opportunity to where they want to offer me a citation. I'm not going to hold court in the street. Because you can't fix stupid. But if an officer decides to offer me a citation. That is a willful act. And let's say he's not doing it willfully. Because it's part of his job. Alright I'll give you that. But then you're doing it based on blind Ignorance. And just as anybody that has been listening or watching the videos, you know there are two ways qualified immunity is lost. One is willful acts, which will be knowingly giving me a citation as an executive officer, which performs a judicial duty, which means you violate the Separation of Powers Act which means you violated your oath of office, which means you also violated your fiduciary duty to the public by wanting to generate revenue instead of actually enforcing law. Or you have to admit that you're too stupid to actually understand what law is. You're just enforcing policy. And that you don't deserve to wear the badge. And that you've been lying and stealing from the public. So therefore, your qualified immunity is lost. And nobody's going to admit that they're stupid. Let me say that one more time. Nobody is going to admit they are stupid. They will admit that what they did was act willfully. They'll even write it down in their affidavits, which is proof that they had no reason for the Fourth Amendment violation to stop you. But if I never stand up in court and enforce their hand to actually show proof, which is their requirement say that one more time they are required to show proof because they are accusing you of something it is your job to make them do their job properly because even in a civil issue there's this thing called discovery who does that come from It doesn't come from the defendant or the person being accused. It comes from the accuser because they have to show proof. Why? Because they have the burden of proof of showing you committed an act. And 90% of the... or Actually, in most cases, 95% of the time... They don't have that proof. And even in criminal cases, remember, every case deals with mens rea, which is the guilty mind, which means every statute that deals with a crime also goes into intent. You always hear people say, I'm not a mind reader. Guess what? Neither are jurors. Guess what? Neither are the accused like the prosecutors. They are not mind readers. They're storytellers. They want people to believe. They want to make a story to where people can say, yeah, I can see that. I can see that he intended to do something. Because absent corpus delecti, which is probable cause that only comes from a crime, with absent mens rea, no statute stands, which is why you always hear about people being sent to hospitals instead of prison. Which is also why you see almost 70% of people being escorted out because they are acquitted not found innocent because innocent is not an option because going to court has nothing to do with guilt or innocence but you see them getting escorted out of these courtrooms why because people cannot prove intent why because that is part of their burden of proof even during investigations there are uh, excuse me, processes that are set forth where people have to actually prove beyond a shadow of a doubt before they can even arrest that they had probable cause that you committed a crime. I'll say that again. They have to prove prior to arrest that they even have probable cause that you committed a crime. Now, does that happen? No. You know why? Because most people don't make them prove or stand up to their burden of proof. Why? Because of ignorance, because of fear, because of convenience. They're not going to teach you what you need to know to protect yourself. Because that does not, as I love to say, that doesn't fit their narrative of you paying them. That doesn't fit their narrative of taking control and holding you captive until you pay them. That doesn't fit their narrative of offering influence of what you do with your hard-earned money. These are the things that I talk about constantly. These are the things that I attempt to reinforce by putting out as often as I possibly can. That we need to know as a society, not as a black person, as a white person, as a a foreigner, as a Mexican, as an immigrant. These are things that we have to know because of the one thing that we all have above anything and that is our human rights. I'm going to say that one more time. We have above any and all things our human rights. When we do not force them to show their proof against us, we're saying it's okay for them to shoot us like dogs in the middle of the street and not sue them for wrongful death in federal court. When we don't force them to show their burden of proof against us, we're saying it's okay to stop me in front of my kids when when I'm going home or buying dinner and forcing me to sign a citation to actually pay you to then have to rectify any situation that was the pretext to that stop when we do not force them to show their burden of proof we're telling them it's okay to show their bigotry towards citizens the people they swore to protect and uphold the people that they said you know what these are the constitutional rights, these are my restrictions, I'm going to follow them they chose to ignore that they chose to lie to us they chose to lie to themselves they chose to lie on paper by signing their oath, they chose to lie before God because that's what's done when they're swearing in for their oath of office They cho- we're telling you all of that is okay none of that matters whatever you feel like doing it's on you it's great I'm cool with it you don't need a reason you don't have to do your job properly my life is less valuable than yours that's what we're saying it's okay to however when we start saying okay you pulled me over for what okay let's, let's talk to this let's judge let's go in there And if that judge doesn't want to do it, because they're saying their oath doesn't matter either. Their fiduciary duty to the public doesn't matter either. We have to stand up and say, you know what, this is enough. I was given this not by you. I was given this by the person that created me or the one that created me the higher power that created me. You didn't have authority over me. You chose a servant's role. You chose a path of servitude. And this is one of the things that a lot of people kind of get at me about, but it's cool because it's easy for me because when they say, oh, you hate police officers, Not in the slightest. I hate bad police officers. Because I hate the cowards that get out of their vehicles, such as the officer in Las Vegas that jumped out and said, oh, I'm in fear for my life. And that is the very first thing out of his mouth. Yet, he's grabbing at his gun and he's walking towards the person he's in fear of. Because your body says something different. Because that is the one phrase that is used by every police officer in any trial, in any hearing, to be exonerated for murdering a citizen. And I do mean murder. And I do mean it in the sense of premeditated. Because it's not a crime in the heat of the moment. When you shoot a person nine times in the back, because you thought a cell phone was a gun that's premeditated when you allow a person to gun down five police officers and you take him in custody why was not the same force not used on him when as you used on the young man with the cell phone when you are looking at a man and he tells you, yes, I have a firearm," And he has his hands on the steering wheel. And you discharge three lethal rounds into that person's chest. It's premeditated. And the reason I say that is because the training is to deal with Those types of situations. Your protective gear. I'm going to say that one more time. Your protective gear is one, a flanking officer. That's one. A taser, mace, pepper spray, your baton, which is also a metal stick, And you are taught hand-to-hand combat. And in some other cases, you have rubber bullets. You have beanbag rounds. And most people ask, like, okay, why, why do they have all of that? Why do they have all of that gear? Because their first duty to the public is the preservation of life. And if their first thought is for life taking their violation is just that because their first duty is to preserve life not take it which is why when you see Terry V. Ohio and it speaks about officer officer safety is not a part of law it's a personal preference Officer safety is only done if, because again, if they can prove the burden of proof, a continued threat to their safety and they can point to the dangerous area, they can particularize the pattern of behavior. Now, I'm going to end it today with the simple thing of when you are accused damn the convenience damn the fear you have the knowledge, power and the ability to enforce them to prove what they're saying against you because a lot don't care who tell it. Force them to do their job properly or stop complaining. And this is Supreme Decisions. See you next Monday.